Well, he's back. Josh Jacobs with the Las Vegas Raiders. I apologize to all Raiders fans for calling them the Oakland Raiders, although I suspect that you still call them Oakland Raiders as well. Raiders fans from time to time, either by accident or on purpose. Josh Jacobs is back, and Josh Jacobs makes history under the franchise tag. This thing's been around for 30 years. He was due to make $10.1 million. Now, let's rewind just a few weeks. Saquon Barkley, same franchise tag, same amount, different team, obviously. Ten point one became a deal worth up to like almost eleven with the ten point one base and nine hundred thousand in incentives that are all based on some pretty significant achievements for Barkley this year. Josh Jacobs takes that ten point one and turns it into a base guarantee of eleven point eight with two hundred thousand in incentives. This is the first time ever that a team with a player under the franchise tag where the deadline has come and gone for doing a long-term deal, gave the player more money right out of the gates to get him to show up on a one-year deal. With Lamp Spriggs and Albert Hainsworth, their teams had agreed to just not tag them the next year. The Raiders did not agree to not tag Jacobs next year, but they've driven the number up so high this year. It works out to about $26 million over two years if they tag him again. And $26 million over two years right now for a running back is pretty damn good. So mm-hmm. at a time when the running back market has been dipping and dipping and dipping, Josh Jacobs resuscitates it partially, turns it around a bit, moves it in the other direction. At a time when it's going like this, he puts the he puts the curve up some. So kudos to Jacobs. And, uh, you know, it, it shows the value, Miles, of, of holding out and depriving the team of services. Barkley showed up. They weren't going to give him a lot. Hey, he's showing up. He's showing up. What, are we going to give him an extra $2 million? No, he's here. He wants to be here. He's showing up. You stay away. You convince them that you're genuinely pissed, which Jacobs did. That's a way to get more money. That's why Chris yeah. Jones is still out. That's why Nick Bosa is still out. There's value in staying away from the team. Holding in doesn't get you the same as holding out. It sure doesn't. And and you know what? I think when you go through training camp, you go through the preseason games and you see the guys who are there, right? You see the Zamir Whites of the world. You see all the rest of the guys that you've got on that running back position, on their running back depth chart. You're like, man, we really could use some Josh Jacobs to inject some life into our offense. And really, you know, like you said, you show the team exactly what it is that they're missing. And we know that Josh Jacobs is a really effective running back. I think that the Raiders really had to do something to get him into the building and to show that they were serious about how much they valued him and how much they wanted him to be a part of things in this coming year. Because to this point, I mean, it seemed like everything that they have done and said rather has been lip service, right? It's not like, I mean, you reported this, Mike, it's not like we really saw them make a real true concerted effort to get him signed to a really uh, significant, let's call it long-term deal. They didn't really do that. They didn't make that effort. So now when you're actually making the effort to say, yeah, we do value you. We are going to give you a little bit more money than you would otherwise have on the franchise sender. Then, hey, like that, let's go. Okay, then we'll do it. And so it was surprising to me to kind of see that figure and then really say, all right, well, the Raiders are putting their money where they actually say, though, all right, we do value you, Josh Jacobs, and we love you. So let's get this done. Let's bring you in here and let's, you know, try to get this offense going. Somebody's putting out the word that the Raiders had offered Jacobs $26 million over two years, fully guaranteed before the July 17 cutoff. I'm told that is wrong. It's not even close. And I don't know if the Raiders are trying to save face or if it's some rival agent trying to knock Josh Jacobs' agent acting like he really didn't do anything all that impressive by getting the Raiders to cry uncle, even though they did. The Raiders, I'm told, were in the teens of total guarantee. When you take the two tags and they add up to $22.2 million, the total guarantee to get the deal done needs to be at least $22.2 million. It wasn't yep. even there. Not even close to twenty six. So, look, my, my tinfoil hat throughout this has been that the football operations in Las Vegas were trying to get Mark Davis to sign off on rescinding the tender. 
And ultimately, Mark Davis went to them and said, this is what you're going to do. This has all the earmarks. The fact that they changed so dramatically from where they were. The long-term offer they made to Josh Jacobs before the July 17 deadline was couched as, well, here's an offer so you can't say we didn't make you an offer. Like, what kind of offer is that? It's just check the box for PR purposes. And I think that both Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler were hoping that one of these days between now and week one, Mark Davis was going to wake up and say, let's just rescind the tender. But ultimately, it's his team. It's his call. And to go to 26 over two years, that's Mark Davis saying, get this done. Whatever it takes, get this done. And they got it done. And Jacobs did set history. He created a new benchmark, a new standard for players under the franchise tag. Barkley was the first one to get an incentive package. Jacobs is the first one to get actually more base money, and he got $1.7 million more than he was supposed to have gotten. You know what? That That's so interesting to me, Mike, because – and I want to be clear that, like, I'm not trying to, you know, put down Josh Jacobs as a player or trying to put down running backs as a position. But when you see what the running back market is, and we know that Dalvin Cook doesn't get much money on the open market, right? You know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, what he got. You know that if Josh Jacobs were on the open market, he probably wasn't going to get $10 million. And so for him to not just get what was in the franchise center, but to get that much more and to push what his salary would be over two years in the franchise tag to what it now is, I mean, it's impressive and it's very interesting, I guess, because it's like, well, what does now, what does this mean now for the larger and the broader context of running backs? Because if you can say that Josh Jacobs, who had a special season, and, you know, 2,000 yard seasons to begin his career, but really a special season last year. Now, what does that mean for the rest of the running backs? It it does kind of shake things up a little bit. And if you're one of these other guys, then you probably should be really, really happy with Josh Jacobs and the Raiders today. I made a point last week, and we're going to talk about Jonathan Taylor in a second and how this contract affects him. But one of the concerns I have as the Colts and Taylor look for a potential trade partner Will there be another team that is willing to give Taylor what he wants and risk the ire of other owners the way that Jimmy Haslam, the Browns, got it when he blew out the curve for Deshaun Watson? Now, I'm not suggesting somebody's going to give Jonathan Taylor a fully guaranteed contract, but the point is anytime you step beyond the boundaries of what's been kind of accepted in the NFL, you get yourself in a position where other owners are going to be like, what are you doing? You're making it harder for us to do business now. So I mention that because... Mark Davis may have to worry. Not that he cares. I think he's still pissed at the league at large over them forcing him to fire or force the resignation of John Gruden. But Mark Davis is the guy that has basically, without saying so, acknowledged the franchise tag for running backs is too low. It yes. shouldn't have been 10-1. It should yeah. have been 12. It should have been higher. And... You're right, Miles. Look, when it was two weeks ago today, Ezekiel Elliott takes a deal with the Patriots worth up to $6 million, and up to was doing a hell of a lot of lifting on that contract as we broke it all down and, and saw what it's really worth. And then Dalvin Cook, possibly prompted by the fact that Elliott did not do a great deal, I better take what the Jets have on the table before it's too late. He's got to deal with a base value of seven with all sorts of per-game roster bonuses and other bonuses tied to him not being suspended. So it's seven with some incentives on the back end. I remember saying then, hey, Josh, better take your 10-1. You're on the free yeah. agent market now. Nobody's giving you 10-1. Nobody's giving him 10-1. Nobody was giving him 10-1. And here come the Raiders, and they give him 11-8 and another 200000 right. in incentives. I, I think that it was a Mark Davis call. It was a Mark Davis move at a time when front office and coaching were – because really – Look, I'll do respect to Josh Jacobs, and I don't mean that as the tongue-in-cheek setup to I'm going to insult you anyway, and I'm just saying I'll do respect. I mean, Josh Jacobs is a great player, first-ever winner of the Jim Brown Award, leading rusher last year, deserves whatever he can get, should have gotten yeah. a long-term oh, yeah. deal. And in hindsight, in hindsight, they should have, pick up, should have picked up the fifth-year option. They would have saved $3.5 yes. if they had picked up the fifth-year option. He'd be making 8 oh, and a half this year. Yep. So, um, but, but the bottom line is, how much better are the Raiders with 
Josh Jacobs. Given where they're competing, given who else they have on the team, given how many great teams are in the AFC, I I don't know that 12 million for one guy at this point dramatically alters what we all expect the Raiders' fate to be this year, unless they're going to go. I mean, unless they're going to do the old, hey, you know what, we're paying this guy $12 million and we're going we're gonna to give him the ball 500 times this year, and we're just going to run the ball and try to play defense. Maybe our defense will be a little bit better. We're going to slow the game down. We'll just keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline drinking Gatorade, and we're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. He wanted $12 million, we're going to make him earn it, and we're going to keep, you know, we're going we're gonna to let Jimmy Garoppolo be Bob Greasy again like he was in the playoff run four years ago for the 49ers. We're just going to run the ball, and we're going to have Jimmy Garoppolo do the absolute minimum, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll win some games by shortening them. Because I don't know how Josh Jacobs makes this team right now where it is relative to the other teams in the conference and in the division, I don't know that it makes the Raiders into a contender. I don't think it does. I still think they're in that cut of – you know, not quite no chance, but close to no chance, given how yeah. good everybody else is. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, as good as I believe Josh Jacobs is, and I do believe he's very good. I was I covered him day to day in his rookie year um, for the still then Oakland Raiders in 2019. And look, he showed some real good traits of being elusive, of being powerful. And he's only continued that, and he did it last year. How many games did the Raiders win last year, right? Or five. Are they 5 and 12, 6 and 11, whatever they were? I don't know that adding Josh Jacobs to this team right now makes them a 10 win team, an 11 win team, which I think that you're going to have to be in order to make the playoffs in the AFC just because of how good those upper echelons of teams are. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like Josh Jacobs does not deserve what he's gotten. But at the same time, if you look at the Raiders and you're like, okay, well, they've got some pieces, you know, they got Devontae Adams. Um, uh, Michael Mayer is a guy that they seem to think can be pretty good. He's shown some traits um, in, in preseason games. Their defense maybe is going to be a little bit better this year under Patrick Graham. I mean, Max Crosby is a game-changing defensive player, don't get me wrong. But I just, when you look at the totality of things, like you said, Mike, I, I don't know that this makes me feel like, oh boy, wow, they look how competitive they're going to be because they have Josh Jacobs. Maybe they take a step forward as a program, you know, going from year one to year two with Josh McDaniels. Everybody's a little bit more comfortable, all of those kinds of different things. But man, when you're talking about a division that's led by Patrick Mahomes, you know, you got another team in the Los Angeles Chargers, Los Angeles, not San Diego, uh, that, uh, you know, it's got Justin Herbert, and now they've got Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator. Sean Payton goes to the Broncos, so we expect them to be improved, despite how bad Russell Wilson was last year. I mean, I, it's, it's tough for me to see the Raiders as, as a true contender, even if Josh Jacobs is there. And if this is just a step forward, year two of the McDaniels program, it's leading toward a spot where Jacobs won't be there. They're going to have to find a way to win games without him anyway, because they're only going to have him for one more year after 2023 at, you know, 14 million or so. uh, If they choose to tag him again, if they decide to do that, right, right, because they know what it's going to cost to keep him. Yeah. Yeah, there's no guarantee that they're going to do that next year. I mean, it, right. it just right. is it, like if Josh Jacobs doesn't, you know, get to where he's, let's call it top five, maybe top three in rushing, then are you really going to say, yeah, we're going to commit that much money to this particular running back for next year when we feel like we could do X, Y, and Z at, at other positions with that kind of money? I, I don't know that I would do that just based on what we know about the market for running backs. And if if my conspiracy theory is correct, that this and it's not really a conspiracy, it's the way organizations operate. Yeah, this if is Mark less Davis of a conspiracy in, than you know, yeah, yeah, than a lot of your other stuff. All right, thank you, thank you for that. I guess uh, nicest thing you've ever said to me. If Mark Davis did indeed come in and tell McDaniel's and Ziegler, this is what you're going to do. Their ace in the hole is next year when he sees 14 million after we have given this guy 500 carries, right? Uh, he's not going to want to pay him $14 million. We're not going to tag this guy next year. Maybe we tag him and maybe we do rescind it next year, although if they would tag him at any point next year, he should take it right away. If they put 14 on the table next year, he should take it immediately, especially if he doesn't have 
1,500 rushing yards this year. So he could be one of the free agents next year. I think that's a good point. You know, I get caught up in this idea that he set himself up to make 26 over the next two years. There's a chance he ain't going to make 26 over the next two years because they're not going to tag him next year. Maybe, And maybe that's what he's gotten. Because I, I was led to believe not that long ago when the Raiders were putting out the idea that, oh, you know what, maybe we would do a Saquon Barkley-type deal for Josh Jacobs, but it never went anywhere, at least at the time, like four weeks ago. I was led to believe that if they would just say we're not going to tag him next year, he would show up. And maybe this is enough extra money this year that next year maybe they won't tag him. And if they do, it's 14 freaking million dollars. It's 26 over two. So Josh Jacobs wins either way. He'll get to the market or he'll get tagged in 2024 and if he gets to the market he may not get 10 million a year but he's going to get some long-term security if he has a decent year this year jonathan taylor let's just talk briefly about what this means for him um i and and, you know i've seen people oh it doesn't mean anything it's a completely different situation no look what it does is for taylor's agent it bolsters the idea that that he's worth more than whatever someone would want to pay you know you're always looking for objective facts you can use to justify Mm -hmm. your argument why does your client want $15 million a year? Why does your client want this? Why does your client want that? Well, Josh Jacobs just got this, and it's more than anybody thought he was going to get. So as a data point for running backs, that helps Jonathan Taylor as we work toward this soft, non-binding deadline of Tuesday for a trade to be done. So it actually may keep a trade from happening because it could be just enough that he says to the Dolphins or whoever is at the table, this is what I want. And they say, sorry, Mark Davis can do that, but we can't and we won't. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, it, it does maybe set things up, A, for a Colts long-term deal, right? But I don't think it sets up anything else in the trade market for that would be positive for Jonathan Taylor because as you look at it, this is still a running back that's coming off an injury marred season and you know, whether or not he's healthy, he's not been medically cleared according to Shane Steichen and he remains on the physically unable to perform list. There's, you know, things are getting cut down to, you know, 53. We'll see how the Colts do this on their roster in the next couple of days before 4 PM Eastern time tomorrow. But that's the situation as of right now. So I don't see how the Josh Jacobs deal would be good for Jonathan Taylor in the trade market because maybe it's I mean, kind of like you said, I mean, if I'm a team and I'm the Dolphins or any other team and I see that and that's kind of the floor probably for what a deal for Jonathan Taylor would be, I don't know that I really want to do that. And I don't know that I want to give up a premium pick for somebody in that position who was not healthy last year and then has to come in and then be the wrong at that I don't know that all of that adds up to me really wanting to make that kind of deal at this point. But also, if you're the Colts, then you can say, all right, well, I guess that's probably the floor for what eventual deal we may be able to come up with, you know, as we turn things forward. But like they don't necessarily seem to want to do that right now, at least based on the fact that Jim uh, Jim Ursay telling Stephen Holder of ESPN that they hadn't even made a contract offer to him yet. So I don't know. And again, the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to get. I feel like what the Colts had wanted to do, finish the rookie contract, tag him once, tag him twice, let him go. They did that with Edron James. They traded Marshall Falk in lieu of giving him a big contract. It's kind of been the organizational way under Ursay. Ursay's the common thread back to 98 when they traded Marshall Falk, early 99 to the Rams. So Mm -hmm. that is, I think, what we're looking at here, this analytics concept of don't overpay a running back, and you can always find another one. Ursay's been doing that before the term analytics was even hatched, for crying out loud. Yeah. So I think that's what they were trying to do. Whether or not they're going to be able to pull it off, we'll see. And if they don't trade him, he's under contract for $4.3 million. Will he say, I'm just going to go out, and I'm going to bust my ass, and I'm going to have a big year, try to stay healthy, and we'll see what happens next year. That may be all he can really do to maximize his earnings next year, but he's putting a lot at risk playing for 4.3 and playing hard this year because you get an injury and all that's gone. Franchise tag doesn't happen. Long-term deal either from the Colts or someone else doesn't happen. But the Jacobs deal puts him in a position to plausibly and credibly expect more than whatever he expected last week, but it could be the thing that just keeps any deal from happening 
with the Dolphins, another team, or the Colts. Let's take a break. Some superlatives from the final week of the 2023 preseason. We'll do that when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Look at that. At least he wasn't wearing his helmet. But you know why he wasn't wearing his helmet this time with no shoulder pads and the rest of his uniform on looking like a trick-or-treater? Because he wanted to show off the Fu Manchu. The man who doesn't work on Tuesdays. He's spending his Tuesdays working on that. Now we know what he's doing on Tuesdays. Waxing that stash, baby. Kirk Cousins. I don't know if he'll have that week one, but what just a weird vibe with the Vikings this year. I mean, we don't know how long Cousins is going to be there. By all indications, this is it. He'll, I, I'm going to throw a dart and say he'll be the Rams quarterback. He'll be a younger option than Matthew Stafford. He'll be the Rams quarterback next year. That's my guess. Wild ass. What? It's a year away. I mean, I, one year I, next year. Yeah. No. Stopgap. Stopgap. Rams quarterback while they figure out who who's going to be the the post Stafford guy. Now look, Stetson Bennett could become that guy, and then there's no opportunity for Cousins in LA. I I said earlier this year there's a chance it's going to be a 49ers Rams tug of war for Kirk Cousins, but I think that, and I was talking to somebody about this over the weekend. Shanahan has found his Kirk Cousins in Brock Purdy. Well, unless Brock Purdy turns into a pumpkin this year, in which case, yeah, then I think Kirk Cousins is going to definitely be an option for the 49ers heading into 2024. That's what next year's going to be. Oh, my gosh. 2024. Can you yeah, imagine? Yeah, you're, getting oh, oh, you're getting old. You're getting old. You're getting old. You're getting old. Your birthday's from, coming up. From you're going to be 30, 32. Yeah, 32. Wow. 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 That's pathetic. You should be disappointed and depressed all day long. 32. Yep. You're ancient. Okay. Uh, superlatives time for week three of the 2023 preseason miles. Give me one. Well, speaking of the Rams, let's call it the least likely to care about the preseason award because, my gosh, like the Rams just got blasted basically in three straight games, but especially over the weekend uh, against the Denver Broncos. lost 42 to nothing. They're outscored by 75 points in three games. And I, I've been in that building and worked there for years. So, like, I understand kind of what the organizational philosophy on preseason is, and it's fine. But man, oh man, when you're getting torched by Jarrett Siddham like that, look what he was doing to that defense. It's probably hard to just kind of feel like, yeah, this is fine. But when they're not playing anybody of real consequence, I mean, they were sitting second string guys. So that probably helps that there are still 90 guys on the roster until Tuesday um, where you have that flexibility to do that. So, man, it's just though, I mean, well, you don't care. Like, we say teams don't care about preseason. The Rams really do not care about the preseason. <laughs> Well, and I think the Broncos cared about that game because they got shredded by the Rams on Christmas Day, 51-14. to 14. This was a way, This was the first home game for Sean Payton as head coach of the Broncos. Their other two preseason games were on the road. This was an opportunity to kind of symbolically close the door, slam the door shut on 2021 by having those same uniforms, even though it's different players, but just to, to kick the crap out of them, 41 nothing after they got demoralized by the Rams, now they move forward toward the games that count. And if Jared Stidham gets to play in week one, he would see the Raiders, uh, but it's presumably going to be a healthy Russell Wilson all the way through. He's not banged up or anything. I don't want to create any drama here. It's not like he's going to get benched, but they have a great insurance policy in Jared Stidham doing? in the event. In the event, I'm just saying, I'm just, you know, we, Wait hey, we until know December. guys are going to get injured at some point. We know things are going to happen. I'm not even I'm talking about injuries. He would get a shot at the Raiders. He would get a shot at the at the Raiders right out of the gates if, for some reason, he'd be the starter in 13 days. I'm just saying there's no reason to think it. Although it's kind of fun to think about the possibility of Stidham facing the Raiders. That's it. Okay. Speaking when of the Raiders. Speaking later, of the Raiders. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, but it's week one. Week one. You know, week. There's something about week one. Anyway, J- uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and. Tom Brady reunited and I didn't you make a reference to the reunited song at some point the guy who knows nothing about movies from the 80s is a is quoting obscure ballads from the 70s from peaches and herb or peaches and herb is it was it herb or was it herb but there's Jimmy Garoppolo and and possibly the guy who called him that you're gonna stick it with that mother bleeper uh but uh Hey, Garoppolo is the reason 
Garoppolo's the reason Tom Brady didn't get to go back and play for the San Francisco 49ers. And now Garoppolo is the quarterback of the team that Brady is trying to be a partial owner of. We haven't heard anything about that in a while. But remember this. Back when they approved the sale of the commanders in July, they made it harder for Mark Davis to pull off this transaction because you can't give employees equity now. And part of this deal was going to be Brady, an employee of the Raiders. And I think that's how they were going to funnel some equity to him in lieu of salary. But Davis spoke out very strongly against it, this this change they made to the rules. So, you know, Brady was there acting like he owned a part of the Raiders. I don't know that he's going to, but at least for one night, it was Brady and Garoppolo together again. And our first real sighting of Brady in a football context since he retired. And I just wonder what he's thinking when he's around the guys with the uniforms and he's not playing. It's one thing to see it from afar, but to be in the middle of it, I'm not saying he's thinking about coming back, but it's never going to be tested any more than it is when you're right in the middle of it like he was on Saturday night. It was kind of weird to just look at Tom Brady and see him next to quarterbacks and him not be in uniform like that. That that whole image to me is just very strange because basically for my entire football consciousness, Tom Brady has been a quarterback somewhere. Right. Whether I mean for New England for obviously a very, very long time. And then the last few years because I've been covering things with the Buccaneers. So like it has been very strange to think that this is going to be a year without Tom Brady at quarterback. But, hey, I mean, at least that's what it looks like right now. Well, hopefully – I don't mean hopefully because I I like a great story. What do you root for? I root for a great story. Hopefully it's the first of many years without Tom Brady at quarterback. Hopefully he's done and he's not coming back. So, although I would be fine if he did come back. I would like (laughs) it. I would welcome him back to the NFL. He is good – for business so tom anytime you want to come back please do we're not saying we don't want you but we assume that you're not going to take a year off and then come back later but who knows he can do whatever he wants and he's still going to have that arm into his 50s the question is does he trust his ability to make decisions get rid of the ball use his legs just enough to avoid the kind of hits that are going to be harder and harder to come back from the older he gets but the arm is going to be there and the arm is still there right now. And he said a couple of years ago, we got to move on to the next one, but he said a couple of years ago, the last thing I want to do is retire and turn on the game and say, these guys suck. I'm better than them. He better not watch a lot of football this year because he's better than most of the guys playing quarterback. All right, what else you got? Uh, let's go to Cleveland because they got a kicker problem, and it's the we can't trust you now award for Cade York. I mean, I don't really know what's going on with this guy. He's a fourth-round pick last year, and it's unfortunate. But, look, there's another kick that's partially blocked. I don't know if it was really the block or if it was this or if it was that. He missed a point after earlier on in the game, too, and his foot got stepped on, and it was kind of like, uh-oh, was he really hurt or is it this or is it that? And to me, you know, when you get your foot stepped on and you miss an extra point that badly, is it your feelings that are hurt or are your, your foot really hurt? I don't really know. But right now, even though Cade York can make all of these kicks in practice, by all accounts, out of Cleveland, he cannot make kicks in the game. And when you have opportunities to make things and you don't do them in games and they present you opportunities to win, not that winning really matters in the preseason, but, you know, in a situation you're practicing it, you should be able to make your freaking kicks. He can't do it. So the Browns are going to have to do something over the next couple of days. Kevin Stefanski has said, you know, we're going to keep all of those discussions internal about what we're going to do with a kicker or if Cade York is still trusted, da-da-da-da-da. But right now it is very obvious that they can't trust the kicker. And if the Browns are going to be any kind of good this year, you have to be able to trust a guy to be able to put a point on the board after a touchdown or three points when you need him in a critical situation late in the game. The danger, as we've previously discussed, is the Daniel Carlson effect, that the act of cutting him will cause him to finally get his mind right and play in games the way he performs in practice. And there was Carlson on Saturday night making a 62-yarder. The Vikings gave up on him. 2018, I believe, he was drafted out of UCLA, I think. They gave up on him because he had a rough week, too. 19? I thought it was 18. I thought it was the first year of Kirk Cousins when they tied Green Bay week two and he missed some kicks. We'll research that during the break. For now, my final superlative. And look, we don't do airing of grievances anymore. Maybe we will during the season. 
But this is kind of a preview of coming attractions. This is where have you gone, Owl River on? Because not that it was a perfect process when he was in charge of replay review, but I still don't know how this play became a touchback via replay review. Now, I know it's an application of the worst rule in football that if you fumble forward out of the end zone, the other team gets it at the 20. This was ruled on the field as out of bounds, first and goal inside the one. So, as we know, although sometimes I wonder whether or not 345 Park Avenue has gotten the memo, the ruling on the field only gets overturned if the evidence is clear and obvious of an error. Is it clear and obvious that Donovan Peoples, or Cameron Peoples, excuse me, I'm thinking of Donovan Peoples-Jones, Cameron Peoples reaches the ball out, loses possession of it in the field of play, and it goes out in the end zone? That is not the kind of thing that I would call clear and obvious. You need a right-down-the-line view to be clear and obvious in that situation. It's not clear and obvious. Is it likely? Is it probable? Yes, but it's not clear and obvious. And if we're going to, and this, we hear this all the time, they want to have a uniform standard. They want to be true to it all the time. It's clear and obvious, clear and obvious, clear and obvious. And here we are in a preseason game, and it's like a minute left, and they're trying to get the hell out of Dodge and move on. Just and why in all those situations, why would you overturn that one? It's so easy to just say it's not clear and obvious. But it just proves, Miles, even in a situation like that, the temptation is there to reofficiate the play from scratch instead of applying the replay standard. And if they're going to reofficiate the play from scratch in that moment where the easy thing to do is say, we're done, see ya, first and goal inside the one, ruling on the field stands, if they're not going to do it then, we never know when that bastardization of the replay rule is going to rear its ugly head and not be applied the proper way. So get ready, get ready. Once the season starts again, that's on our radar screen. When and where and how are they going to screw up the replay standard? Well, they always do it somehow. I mean, but if I don't really get how that was out of bounds at the one I never have. I mean, since I saw the play, I mean, because if he crosses the goal line, isn't the play dead when he crosses the goal line? And yeah, I guess if he's fumbling as he crosses well, the goal line, then it goes out of bounds. But like, I don't want to relitigate the play because who cares? But I, it's just right. one but of those things is, that clear and obvious. Really make sense. Clear yes, and yeah. obvious. Nothing about clear it is and clear obvious. and obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And if it's and you look at that and say there's nothing clear and obvious, we just defer to the ruling on the field. That's how it's supposed to be. We need to take a break yes. when we return. How did Aaron Rodgers look in his first game action with the New York Jets? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Yeah, it's some butterflies for sure. I think that's that's always normal. First time I strap it on, it's it's kind of the, the standard. Whether I'm in year one. Uh, playing in San Diego Chargers or year 19, you know, preseason number four. There's there's always uh, some butterflies when you step out there for the first time, but uh, I loosened up pretty good when I got the ovation when I took the field. That was a special moment um, uh, just to, you know, have that kind of support taking the field for that TV timeout. Uh, that was pretty special. Aaron Rodgers, we did get another San Diego Chargers reference, so that one is accurate because they were the San Diego Chargers when he played them in 2008. Um, and, and he got the ovation even though it was a Giants home game. Yeah. They still gave him the ovation, Aaron Rodgers, in New York. I doubt that they'll be as positive when he takes the field for the regular season Jets-Giants, Giants home game coming up later this season. But, you know, this was what Robert Sala, the coach of the Jets, wanted. He wanted Aaron Rodgers to have gone through the experience of taking the field at MetLife Stadium. Just a couple of drives, five for eight, 47 yards, and one touchdown. Nothing, you know, nothing crazy. Don't get the guy injured. Don't put him back in the fourth quarter to win the Snoopy Trophy like Rex Ryan once did with Mark Sanchez. Just, just play it safe. Keep it simple. Let him go through the process of getting out on the field. And he did it. And now we'll see him two weeks from tonight on that field in their legacy white uniforms facing the Buffalo Bills. What a way to start the season for the New York Jets. 
Yeah, sure is, man. I'm really looking forward to that game. There's so many quality matchups in week one that we're going to get to see. This one certainly being one of them. Yeah, but I, I thought, you know, Rodgers kind of looked like himself, let's say. I mean, that throw that he makes right there to Garrett Wilson is just absolutely vintage Aaron Rodgers. And it's something that we saw him do with Devontae Adams in recent years, time and time and time again. And so now he's working, of course, with his new 17. And you see the chemistry kind of come to life that we've been hearing about on Hard Knocks, that we've seen a little bit on Hard Knocks. It's good for them to just go out there, do it once, you know, just show like, okay, we can get ourselves into a little bit of a rhythm um, and then get off the field and let's start preparing for that Monday night matchup against Buffalo. You know, it's funny, Aaron Rodgers, and I, I, I submit to you that, that Aaron Rodgers and I have many things in common, although where we differ, we differ so strongly that he would never talk to me. But I, I think that he has finally realized the error of his past attitude of basically, I have enough friends, I don't want any more. Because I'm kind of that way, and that's an area where I haven't changed. Kind of. But for him, but but for him, I mean, you're still on the fence. You're still not in yet. I you, you know, I, I met you late of. enough in my, I, I met you beyond my point where I decided I had enough friends. But <laughs> that, that's been his football attitude. Like he's got this click, like he's got this, like, like it's like the T-Birds, like he's got his guys. And I just made a grief for, Grease reference and you have no idea because you've never seen that movie, but he's got his guys and he wants his guys and he moves in a pack with his guys. I want yeah. Alan Lazard. I want Devontae Adams. I want Mercedes Lewis. I want Bobby Tunyon. And he's broken from that this year, and he's realizing, you know what? There's some other damn good players out there. Just because they're not my buddies, I'll get to know them. I'll get to know Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's every bit as good as my buddy who left me for the Raiders. And maybe that's what caused him to finally kind of break out of this fever dream, although he still has Randall Cobb with him in New York and Alan Lazard. But I just kind of like the idea that Rodgers, as he's getting close to the end, has moved past this idea he's got to have his his circle of, of guys he can trust, and he just loves and trusts everybody. I'm savoring every moment. All my teammates, I love them. He was going on and on about Makai Becton and how he's grown. I mean, stuff that we're not used to hearing from Aaron Rodgers. But he knows that it's either this year or next year that he's going to be done, and he's committed to enjoying every second of it. Because once it's done, it never comes back again for your entire life. It's over. It's kaput. It's finito. Here's an another 80s song for you. I got a new attitude. That's Aaron Rodgers' theme song right now. I mean, it's crazy the kind of things that we're starting to see from him and hear from him that are just very different than what we've seen before. And I mean, I don't know if we can pull back up that image of him at the press conference, but I mean, he's got the deep V and the shells and everything. He's just very zen. I mean, and he was sort of getting to this in his last couple of years with the Packers. But look at this man. I mean, my gosh. He's just so calm, so serene, so thoughtful and positive. And it's just different to hear this kind of thing from Aaron Rodgers. So I think it's great. I'm, I think it makes the Jets that much more competitive. And they were already a competitive team last year. Now they might actually be pretty freaking good if Aaron Rodgers can do those kinds of things that he showed. I mean, like that, like I said, that throw to Garrett Wilson right there at the end for the touchdown. That is some good stuff. You know, that's going to beat most teams because it's good coverage, but it's a better ball placement and it's a better play by the receiver. They can do those kinds of things. The Jets are going to make some noise, man. I don't know what fascinates me more about that picture, whether it's the first day of school hair combing that he's got there or it's the <laughs> it's the neck hole on the shirt stretched out by George Costanza's giant head. <laughs> Maybe it's both. I'll call it a tie. All right. Um, but again, we'll see him. Two weeks from tonight, Makai Becton, the starting right tackle. He hasn't played in a regular season game since September 12 of 2020. Ron, remember last year he had a knee injury in camp. Started 13 games as a rookie at left tackle in 2020. They're hoping for Dwayne Brown on one side, Makai Becton on the other, and Aaron Rodgers is hoping to have enough time from the five offensive linemen so he can get the ball to Garrett Wilson or whoever else as he tries to avoid getting hit and getting hurt. And we've seen that with him. I mean – as, as franchise quarterbacks go, that rarely get injured. He's had two seasons wiped out by broken collarbones. One was because he held on to the ball too long and got dragged to the ground by Anthony Barr. But he needs to get rid of the football, and he knows the importance of that at the age he is currently residing at, 39 going on 40. But they need that offensive line to buy him enough time, and we'll see what the Jets can be. Let's take a break. The Texans finally have told us all what we already knew. 
We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Yes, yes, CJ will be our week one starter in Baltimore. It's been over the course of the entire process of OTAs, training camp, preseason games, just seeing the complete product and knowing you know, CJ's desire to continue to get better. We know we're not where we need to be as a team overall. We all have to continue to get better, and it's just having a mindset to do that, and CJ's just along with all our other guys know that we have to get better in that regard. D'Amico Ryan's first-year head coach of the Houston Texans, first game. C.J. Stroud, starting quarterback, not a surprise. We knew it all along. There was never any reason to believe otherwise. It was just so odd. And he contradicted himself because he said just last week, you'll find out week one against the Baltimore Ravens. Well, why are you telling us now? I think maybe he got some pushback. Like, I mean, D'Amico, we all kind of know. We all kind of know. Like, it's okay. You can tell them. They know. They know. We know. And C.J. Stroud knows. And remember, we were talking about this on Friday. Like, what, what is the strategic reason for withholding that title from C.J. Stroud? Did, did there develop a concern for D'Amico Ryans that maybe C.J. Stroud wasn't going to be mature and responsible? Or was there going to be resentment in the locker room? But regardless, the, the facade has been obliterated. The ruse has been abandoned. The starting quarterback for the Houston Texans is C.J. Stroud. Yeah, man. Like you said, it's not a surprise. You know, everything from Houston has been that CJ Stroud has been taking the first team reps, the, the starting reps with the offense. Uh, it, he looked better, you know, in that game against the Saints, which is good because they need him to be better. Um, but, you know, I, I think at the same time, it's kind of like, man, you, you don't know what you're really going to get from a CJ Stroud, at least early on. You just don't. And the the thing is, and I like this touchdown pass here that he threw. I mean, great ball placement. You know, it was very definitive in each step of the play. Um, But when you're a rookie and you're going to Baltimore, you know, as your first game, that's a really tough task, man. And, you know, Mike McDonald, he's a really good defensive coordinator, understands how to work with that personnel. And Baltimore's just got that aggressive kind of attitude where you know you're probably going to be in for a long day with what they do defensively and just how uh, their philosophy organizationally and that's something that's been there for many 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 years so it's going to be interesting to see what cj stroud does in this opener but you know as far as him being named the starter I don't know what changed with D'Amico Ryans. Maybe you're right. Maybe he got some pushback from something. Maybe it was just his philosophy, you know, where it's like, I'm not naming starters. I don't need to do that. You somehow see that you're majoring in the minor there and you just go out and you say what everybody already knows because you're not going to surprise Baltimore on, you know, September 10th when you come out there and C.J. Stroud is the quarterback. The thing that really would have been a surprise is if Case Keenum were the quarterback and we all knew that wasn't going to happen. Well, and here we have three quarterbacks taken in the top four, and I think we all assumed from the get-go they would be week one starters, Bryce Young in Carolina, although I don't think it's been officially announced yet. But they called him the starter like weeks ago. They made him QB1 weeks ago, so they don't have to call him the starter. They made him QB1, and they've never said anything to the contrary. Then Anthony Richardson a couple of weeks ago, and now C.J. Stroud. So we're going to see all three of them right out of the gates. If you're going to use a pick that high on a quarterback, you better be ready to play him right away. That's the way it works in today's NFL. Otherwise, you're trading him for a fourth-round pick in two seasons because he never got onto the football field as the 49ers learned the hard way. All right, let's take a break. More PFT Live right after this. All right, Monday edition of PFT Live, the preseason completely and totally in the book. So let's have a draft of the preseason MVPs, maybe somebody who never plays at all in the regular season but played enough in the preseason to merit some sort of recognition in this space. Now, we have a trivia question. Well done, Courtney. See, I've I've kind of implicitly called out Courtney when I praised Pete Demolitis for always having, not always having, but sometimes having trivia questions. So Courtney has now stepped it up with some good trivia questions. And here is one for you, Miles. If you get it right, you get the first pick. Which quarterback had the highest passer rating, not QBR, passer rating 
for the 2023 postseason or preseason, not postseason. I'm getting ahead of myself. Preseason. <laughs> oh, uh, the answer to that one's going to be Patrick Mahomes. But the answer to this one is Kenny Pickett, quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is that right? I thought it was Aiden O'Connell. Maybe I. Oh. Maybe I. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. Aiden O'Connell. Womp, womp, womp. Oh, what a shame. I, all right, here's the thing. Uh, I it's have a quibble with this. I have a quibble with this because, it, all right, if, it could be Aiden O'Connell if we're talking about qualified passers, if there is such a thing. But they, I mean, but it's Kenny Pickett. Because even if, like, you, you take the first pick. Uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, all right, I'm a little flustered now. It should be Kenny Pickett. Well, now, because he had a perfect passer rating? He was 11? Yes. Was it, wait, that was yeah. just in one of the games. What was he for the full preseason? Oh, what are his preseason stats? What? He was finished the preseason was he 158.3? Yeah. In three okay. appearances, he didn't play all that what? much. Then apparently it didn't. he didn't meet the qualification standard because when you go to the official NFL website and look at the preseason stats, Aiden O'Connell is the leader. But go ahead. You can have Kenny Pickett as the first pick. Go ahead. I, on NFL uh, game stats and information, he is. So that's, you know, usually the site that I use. So I, that's why I know this is the answer, and I'm sticking with my answer, and I'm going to claim – that I was right because Kenny Pickett should be the MVP of the preseason. All right. This is a guy that did everything he needed to do to solidify himself as the guy who is ascending going into year two for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I said, 13 of 15, 199 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a perfect passer rating of 158.3. So I think that the Steelers should have great vibes going into the regular season. Yeah, the preseason doesn't count for all that much, and they beat the hell out of the Atlanta Falcons backups, as they should. But when you do the things that you're supposed to do, you at least get to check that box. And Kenny Pickett played about as well as he could have in the preseason. And, you know, people are starting to realize the Steelers need to be taken seriously because they got the defense. People thought it was going to be defense and running game. You supercharge the passing game, and you commit to throwing it to George Pickens unless he's triple covered. You're going to make things go with that offense. And Allen Robinson, I think, is going to have a great year. When the Steelers were the ones that stepped up and traded for him, I thought, mm, they know they know what he can still do. And as it turns out, mm -hmm. Omar Khan, the GM, told me back in May, they have known him since he was at Penn State, and they've been watching him. And between him and Deontay Johnson – and Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens and Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. Watch out for the Steelers' offense, which means watch out for the Steelers because we know the defense is going to be good. I'll go Aiden O'Connell. He was 43 of 62, 482 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Plus, he's got the great, I went to Catholic school my whole life, and I just graduated, so I'm going to grow a mustache. Mustache. <laughs> That's his facial hair vibe. So, uh, Aiden and, and look, we talked about the Raiders earlier. Where are they going? Jimmy Garoppolo is not the long-term answer. We all know that. They need to develop someone. Aiden O'Connell looks like a guy they can develop, and he looks like a guy, frankly, who could come in and maybe get it done if and when. And we know from Jimmy Garoppolo's history it's more when than if he gets injured at some point this year. Yeah, they have Brian Hoyer, who is a fellow Cleveland native, as I am. Um, and I think, you know, at a certain point – do you want to watch Brian Hoyer play or do you want to watch Aiden O'Connell play and see if he can really develop? I, I do think that there is a non-zero chance that Aiden O'Connell is the Raiders starting quarterback by December, depending on the way this season shakes out for them. So my, my second pick though, speaking of Cleveland, Dorian Thompson Robinson, man, this guy played extremely well in the preseason. So well, in fact, that the Browns felt comfortable enough to trade Joshua Dobbs to the Arizona Cardinals because their quarterback situation is very, very not good right now. And so when you have a guy in DTR, man, I mean, he has so much college experience that I think his transition to the league has been a little bit easier than some quarterbacks might have. The same kind of thing with Aiden O'Connell, where you've got so many starts, right? We said the same stuff about Brock Purdy. I think now when you look at quarterbacks and how they, they are taken and how they're developed, a lot of that college playing experience really does come into play. So the Browns probably have something here in, in DTR as a backup quarterback, and hopefully they can have him be that long-term guy. At least that would be the ideal world because they have paid Deshaun Watson as much as they have paid him. So he is my second pick for a preseason MVP, Mike. And DTR gives them 
I think, a great backup that they can develop behind Deshaun Watson. They got Watson under contract for four more years. And every penny is fully guaranteed. Unless they trade him, they're stuck with that money. But the good news is they've got Robinson for four years, Thompson Robinson for four years, under a very low cost. So if you're looking at total quarterback dollar expenditures, you put it all in one pot, still not that bad because right. your backup is so low in comparison to your starter. And if it just doesn't work with Watson at some point, if it's working with DTR, he becomes the guy. Proving yet again that maybe they shouldn't have sent all those draft picks and given all that money to Deshaun Watson and just continued to work their plan and work their procedure and not get desperate to go out and find a franchise quarterback, especially with all the issues that came with Sean Watson. Next one for me, I'll go Malik Willis, Tennessee Titans. And, you know, he's played very well in the preseason. He's a guy who went from a player I believe that Mike Vrabel didn't really want in the first place, part of the John Robinson, Mike Vrabel tug of war that ended in Robinson getting fired during the 2022 season. Willis has put himself in position and he looks leaner. He looks more mobile. He looks like he's really committed himself to improving. And I think next year it's going to be a Willis-Levis preseason battle to be the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. And they're going to let him duke it out. They got him both under contract for multiple more years, relatively low expense. Ryan Tannehill will be gone. Will Levis, Malik Willis next year. When we would have just assumed it was Will Levis. I think Willis is going to make it a competition for next year. And who knows? Maybe he could win it. Let's take a break. We'll do one more pick each when we wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. All right. One more round of the preseason MVP draft. So far, Kenny Pickett, who does not play for the Carolina Panthers, but that's okay. Aiden O'Connell, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and Malik Willis. Miles, who do you have? I'm going to go off the board a little bit and say the competition committee in 2021 because they were the ones who recommended the end of preseason overtime, and that went through, and boy, did it come through this season because in week two, we saw two preseason ties, and Lord knows we don't need any overtime preseason football. Nobody wants that. Coaches, players, or reporters. So God bless you guys back then in 2021 for foreseeing well, this. I think in one of the episodes of Hard Knocks, didn't we have Randall Cobb saying, oh, we don't want to go to overtime? I mean, so not everybody realizes. I think Troy Aikman wasn't aware last Monday night that there wasn't going to be overtime. So we're still getting used to the fact that there is no overtime. Last one for me, Jordan Love. We talked about Aaron Rodgers earlier. Jordan Love, the guy who replaces him, 21 of 33, 193 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, a 109.8 passer rating, higher than Aiden O'Connell as well, but not enough throws to qualify to be the highest-rated passer in the preseason. But Love looks good. Packers, good shape. Miles, good show. Everybody, good Monday. See you back here tomorrow morning.